It's time once again for another thrilling episode of Mark Out Radio. Of Mark Out Radio. For the next hour, sit back, pull the stick out of your ass, and enjoy. Be warned though, smarks and internet know-it-alls will be offended, annoyed, and generally pissed off at what's about to happen to your ear holes. You've been warned. Now, Mark Out Radio. go welcome to <laughs> holy shit balls what a clusterfuck today everything's all over the place god jesus well lucky you if you're just listening on podcast you don't get to see all of the clusterfuck that is uh well everything that's going on right now look at this i even got my fucking kids pool toys in the background here look at how classy this fucking joint is here this week folks jesus <laughs> god damn it uh, all right turn that shit down producer boy i blame you for everything that went wrong today no, no, not really all right welcome back to marco radio goes nitro episode 89 for may the 26th 1997 uh the nashville municipal auditorium nashville tennessee uh, I am, of course, your boy, Dark Fox. This week, Nitro's hosted by Tony Schiavone, Larry Zabisco, Mike Tanay, and by the Brain Heenan as we get back into the two-hour format. Kind of. Um, <clears throat> see, I say that because when you go watch uh, Nitro on the network, it's an hour and a half long. Which, I mean, I understand that two-hour wrestling shows, you got to have a lot of room for commercials and shit like that. But legit, one quarter of the show being fucking commercials, I mean... Sweet. Um, normally, your two-hour shows are about 140, 145-ish. This one was straight up 130 and change. Uh, fuck. I mean, the NBA Finals are done. Congrats to the Bulls. It's 1997. Now, the worm is free to come and work as wrestling dates. I just, you know, what else do you say to that? Thank you. That's what you say to that. All right. Now, um, <clears throat> before we get into the show now, I get emails all the time, which I, I really actually enjoy. Uh, MLRmarkout at gmail.com is the email address. But over the last few months, I've been getting more and more of these questions about uh, politics, uh, especially after my taking the knee joke uh, at the NFL's expense a few weeks ago. I guess it's long overdue for new listeners of the show to know where I stand politically. I, I just... I guess I'm of the don't be an asshole political leaning. Uh, for example, like MAGA, make America great again, which is thinly veiled dog whistle to put white people back in power. Assholes. Antifa? Well, I mean, since their name legit means anti-fascist, I often wonder why, when they don't get their way, buildings get burned down. So, assholes. I'm somewhere in the middle there. I'm a big proponent of the golden rule, which, uh, which I guess pisses off the far left and the far right folks. So, I mean, I guess if that costs listeners, then oh well. Uh, thank you, producer boy. Um, now, for those of you that uh, didn't have functional parental figures growing up, uh, the golden rule is quite simply, do unto others as you would have them do unto you. That basically means don't fuck with people if you don't want them to fuck back with you. 
Uh, it's a good rule for life. Uh, the reason I bring this up is I got a burial of emails this week uh, that were looking for my opinion on the American Olympic athletes commenting on voting rights legislation back home, and somehow that made them unpatriotic. Look, first of all, I'm not American. I'm Canadian. And I uh, don't really give a red rat's ass what American sports figures say about American politics. I really don't. I, I don't give a red rat's ass. I don't fucking care. I don't care what Canadian athletes have to say about Canadian politics. I almost always don't even care what actual run-of-the-mill blue-collar Canadians have to say about politics. You know what? I don't know why? Because everyone is treating this like it's some sort of pro wrestling show. There's heels and faces and you know someone's gonna cheer for this one but not cheer for that one i just look fucking dingbats freedom of speech isn't there to protect popular speech that everyone agrees with it's there to protect shit people don't like to hear or don't want to hear with some obvious uh exceptions to hate speech of course now commenting on politics as an athlete is fair game obviously no one seemed to have a beef when jesse owens was having opinions on german politics after making friends with carl long so let's just i don't know fuck off shall we let's enjoy it's a stupid wrestling show don't ask me about politics on a stupid wrestling show you want to know about backstage politics sure i'll weigh in on that why not now, someone's got an opinion about something and it hurts your little feelers. I cry rivers of fucking tears for you, Buttercup. Grow up. This is a show about a staged athletic performance. Fucking unplug from reality for just a little bit and enjoy my moron's take on it. Shall we? Can we do that, please? Can we please do that? We're coming for you, nigga. Oh, Jesus. Thank you. All right. Now, moving on. This is Nitro's 50th win in a row with a 3.3 to Raw's 2.7. 6,484 people attending, paying $81,630 to be there. No idea how many people paid. I'm guessing... Because this is the only figure that we have. Now, before Nitro goes on the air, there's a dark match between Chris Benoit and Joey Maggs. Who, exactly? I have nothing about Joey Maggs. I don't know jack shit about Joey Maggs. He's a fucking jobber, and he's worse yet, he's a jobber in a dark match. I do know that he was in WCW for about 18 months. The show itself, though, kicks off with Bischoff rocking his dad bod and coming out with his worm shirt on and his cool NWO denim jacket obviously oozing cool zero point zero now looking back on this i didn't think it was cool because eric bischoff despite looking like a fucking grown ken doll also looks like everyone's dad so when you come out trying to look cool it's fucking sad. But anyways, there's lots of signs in the crowd as fans started being encouraged to bring them. And for those of you that forgot them at home, you'd be handed ones by WCW Stafford that were just a little too good. Hogan is rocking a makeup beard that was beyond creepy, rubbed off on Bischoff's head when he kissed him during this promo. Anyways, now that Sting's not there, they're going to cut a promo on him to build up heat to, well, to nothing. I guess just to keep heat on Hogan and Sting. Uh, honestly. No one knows why, because the next match these two would actually have would be in fucking 90, like, what is it, 98 almost? Jesus, like a year from now. Anyways, in your first match of the night, Hector Garza, Juventud Guerrero, and Super Kahlo defeat Ciclope, Damian, and Laparca in a trios match. Now, at the time, this is being called the six-man tag with Mexican rules that Mike Tanay will explain to us poorly. This match gets a two and a half out of five from Mark Out Radio. Now, Tony tells us that no tag is required in this match and then throws to Tanae to explain why, which he doesn't at all. 
tags are required, but the ref is less strict about seeing them. However, if someone's on the floor, then somebody else from your team can come into the match. I guess that makes them the legal man. And from the floor, you can go onto the ring apron. Now, this is a trios rules type match. So this is straight out of Mexico, which does do a good job of keeping the action going on in the ring. So it creates a lot less lulls in the match. However, it removes tension from matches, which is sort of needed in pro wrestling. Anyways, Garza performs a very cool corkscrew dive from the top rope, incorrectly called a twisting corkscrew plancha by tonight. Now, a plancha needs to go between two ropes. That could be the top and the middle or the middle and the bottom. But a plancha does not, first of all, go over the top rope. Second of all, a plancha doesn't happen from the top turnbuckle. Twisting and corkscrew are interchangeable. They're the same fucking thing. So thank you, fucking Professor Mike Tanay. Oh, right. This is Hector Garza's first match in WCW, but not in America, as Mike Tanay claims. Hector would pass away from lung cancer in 2012 while still the Mexican heavyweight champion, which Mexico City's Boxing and Wrestling Commission then deemed an inactive championship belt, which, listen... They take it a little more seriously down there. And let's just leave it at that, shall we? Psychosis defeats Alex Wright in the match after this. Two and a half out of five. Psychosis botches a moonsault over the top, lands hard on his hip on the unprotected floor. They go home quickly with Wright eating the top rope leg drop, which after landing on my hip on the floor, I would not have tried to perform the fucking finishing leg drop from the top rope if I was Psychosis, even though he landed on the opposite hip. Because once one hip's bruised, man... Doesn't matter what you do to the other side. It's going to fucking hurt. After this, Gene has a rant promo with Sonny Ono. Sonny's accent is completely gone now. Why bother having it now that his gimmick no longer requires a racial element to get over? I just, uh, yeah. A little late on the fucking uptick there, Chief. All right, anyways, he calls over Psychosis, offers him a deal, which Psychosis accepts without understanding what the fucking deal is. Assumingly, Sonny Ono's going to become his manager, but we don't know. Medusa comes out to confront Ono, taking, uh, talking about the controversy around the women's title. Now, by that, she means that she scored a pinfall victory in a title match in Japan against Hokuto. Now, that was not a botch, but it was a work. Ono claimed after the match that Medusa cheated and got some really bad footage together, which somehow got over in a country where Videotech was leaps and bounds ahead of us at that time. Anyways, the ref awards the match to Hokuto. Allegedly, WCW wasn't happy with this as their deal with New Japan was falling apart, mostly because they were just doing whatever they wanted and neither WCW or Eric Bischoff seemed to be able to get them back on board. Hokuto was supposed to drop the belt to Medusa in Japan, which would have led to a feud in the States. Instead, New Japan Pro Wrestling decided decided to swerve WCW and Medusa. So wisely, Eric leaned into this, and the feud then became if Medusa loses at the Great American Bash, she would retire. Now, she wasn't happy with how she was being booked since the dumping of the WWF women's title in the belt and the garbage. Uh, this was her way out of her contract obligations while still getting paid by WCW as she set up her monster truck career. Now, she was already driving for a few months, trying to get her licenses and qualifications in place. So Sonny's accent is back again as he tells her this and then shoots on her being a nurse prior to wrestling. There you go. That's how you end a fucking promo with Sonny Ono trying to decide whether or not he should be racially insensitive, I guess. Anyways, back from break, the commenters discuss Ernest Miller and being invited to Slamboree where he interfered by Glacier since they were old friends. Now, this is just more of this karate bullshit, which fuck's sake sucks. Um, 
here's the thing. Mortis does a lot of karate type moves, but he's an actual wrestler, of course, Chris Canyon. Um, Wrath, of course, just a big, he's a wrestling big man. Glacier is the only one whose gimmick is going to rely on kicking and shit like that until Ernest Miller comes to WCW. And then Ernest Miller's gimmick is going to sort of evolve so he does less karate bullshit. This is all because Eric has a fucking hard-on for karate. Listen, I grew up in the 80s. I understand the joy that the movie Karate Kid and the the series itself brings and the new Cobra Kai stuff. I get all that stuff. I like karate. It's nothing wrong with it. I enjoy karate. It's one of my favorite martial arts. Actually, yeah, going on the limit and say it is my favorite martial art. But I wouldn't bring it into wrestling. Just throwing that out there. Anyways. After this, Mark Wrath defeats Mark Starr. I gave it a two out of five. Mark Starr obviously gets no entrance because he's here to yet do another WCW job match as they try to differentiate themselves from the WWF, um, where they never do job matches on live TV anymore because of WCW. So there's that. There's a very impressive flying clothesline off the top rope by Wrath here as Starr sells the hell out of it. Leading into the death penalty was essentially a choke slam. Just instead of grabbing him by the neck, he wraps his arm around his uh, shoulders to do it. Uh, there's nothing wrong with it. It doesn't look bad either. But this fucking work choke slam today puts over as being part of Siberian jiu-jitsu. <laughs> Fuck sakes. Oh, today's firing on all cylinders tonight. Post-match is a promo from James Vanderbeek, excuse me, James Vanderberg, with Wrath and Mortis laying down a beating on Mark Starr in the background. Now, this post-match promo is just him yelling into the camera all creepily. After this, Kona defeats Vilano number four. I gave out two and a half out of five. Vilano four gets an entrance. Cholo Heisenberg gets a full-on Cholo rap, bringing him to the ring as he separates himself from the Dungeon of Doom. Now, there is a picture side-by-side promo with Hugh Morris here as uh, Conan apparently turned on him on Saturday night as Conan leaves the dungeon, kind of. Uh, about halfway through this match, though, Hugh Morris comes out and has to be held back by a bunch of officials, including one wearing a walking cast. Conan finishes off this match with the Tequila Sunrise, which is essentially a half-crab with his opponent's arm being held underneath his ass. Um... Does it look bad? No. Does it look like it actually hurts? No. I just, kids do these fucking moves on each other all day, every day in their fucking parents' basements. Uh, this isn't a wrench to the head. This is a pretty safe fucking move. After this is a Gene in-ring promo. Gene tells us that Sullivan is on a self-imposed sabbatical. Can't imagine why that would be. Anyways, this led to what remains of the Dungeon of Doom breaking up. Conan starts off with some Mexican, which uh, earns WCW... Almost earns WCW and FCC fine, except that as he breaks into broken English, he tells Sullivan that he is his BZ Natch, which technically isn't a swear. Then he cuts a promo on the Pillsbury fat boy, Hugh Morris, which would lead to their match at Great American Bash. Overall, a well-performed promo. Um, and, you know, Conan's coming into his own giving English promos. So, you know, there's that. There's some, there's some, you know, uh, progress being made there. I just, well, okay. It's, it's still hot mess, but for, for Conan, it's a hot mess. That's, um, reasonably well-performed. Oh, right. Thank you. After this Masahiro Chono versus the great Muda ends in a no contest. I gave this three out of five. Now today lets us know that Chono has been trying to recruit Muda into the NWO Japan. Now, ironically, Muda would then go on to lead the NWO Japan after Chono gets hurt in a few weeks, but 
that'll come later. Now, full disclosure, I popped for the green mist at the beginning of the match. Muda, after this match, gets going. Red mist Sonny Ono as he joins the NWO. Larry laments the swerve that these two just pulled on Ono. Now, remember that this is the same Larry Zabisco that gets very angry with people who expose the business to this day. After this, the Barbarian defeats Jim Powers two and a half out of five. Not a terrible match. A battle of the stiffy magoos. Not very entertaining. But at least it wasn't a full-on job match, which Powers has been eating a lot of lately. Post-match, there's a ringside Gene interview with Hart and Barbarian, which is immediately interrupted by Benoit and Woman. Benoit is tired of the same old song and dance, so let's have another match with Sullivan. <sighs> Hart tells Benoit that all he has to do to get a match with Sullivan is go through Barbarian next week. Benoit is still, at least he's wearing some snazzy two tights. So how that's, that's good, I guess. Thank you. As my fucking left side goes dead. Anyways, giant defeats Jerry Lynn and, uh, sorry, Jerry Flynn, Johnny Swinger and Rick Fuller in a three on one handicap match. Yeah, that's uh that's a snore fest. That one was quite awful. Um I just I don't even know what to say. It's just fucking that's <laughs> sacrilege, it's awful. Anyways, um I'm so glad that WCW is nothing like the WWF. Giant comes out with Luger, no music, that green lighting, and Giant has changed his uh, singlet into trunk tights instead of the usual speedo tights. I don't know why I'm paying that much attention to it. I'm sorry. Also, there's a sleeve on his left knee. Johnny Pre sells the choke slam after his top rope double axe handle gets no sold. Then Sol and Fuller and Flynn each eat a choke slam as the giant pins everybody. I mean, absolutely. Let's have a Valvoline slow mo replay of this match afterwards. Sure, why not? Now, post match is a promo in ring with Luger and the giant and Gene. They're going to challenge Hogan and Rodman at the Bash of the Beach. Giant feels like a Shylark uh, that hasn't been paid. So I'm, I'm guessing he means a Shylock, which is someone who charges high interest loans like a loan shark. I'm not quite sure how that's a face thing, but I guess it doesn't really matter since it's the 90s and it's WCW. It's time. Holy shit. I thought we weren't going to get to it because here he is, the golden voice bastard, Lee Marshall, with 1-800-COLLECT-ROAD-REPORT from the production truck. I mean, from Dayton, Ohio. There is some sort of weasels that won't be performing or something. Fuck. I even Heenan's rebuttal was awful this week. No one's really trying with this 1-800-ROAD-REPORT. It needs to fucking stop because it was, it was good for a while. Just... Put Lee Marshall on commentary and stop it already. Six acts as a hype man for the outsiders as he comes out. He uh, cuts a promo on, I guess, that the NWO technically wins at Slamboree because Nick Patrick wasn't reintroduced as a WCW ref until the very next day. Any, anyways, we get a recap of last week's main event beatdown of six to Flair. Hall and Nash then come out. They've got the new tag team titles. They want Flair and Piper in a title bout, which will go down at Great American Bash 1997. So at least... We're, we're building towards the next pay-per-view, even though we're three weeks out. I'm glad to see that's actually happening. I'm hoping that they actually spend the time to do it again. After this, you get your main event of Harlem Heat, Booker T, and Stevie Ray defeating Jeff Jarrett and Steve Mongo McMichael. I'm giving that four out of five. Booker and Stevie aren't wearing matching tights, which is a little bit odd for the Harlem Heat. After the entrances, we get a commercial break just to uh, force the teams to try to keep the fans into the main event. Fuck sakes. God damn. Zero point zero. 
back from break, Booker cuts a promo at the ringside camera, uh, which is shooting on football players in wrestling. So Jarrett tags in Mongo, all of this completely ignored by the commentators as they promote 50 appearances by WCW wrestlers in fucking California. After getting the best of Booker, Mongo asks the camera what Booker thinks of football players now. Really good stuff. Playing to the cameras and everything, cutting promos on the camera on each other. Completely ignored by the commentators of the show. Uh, At least we're talking about Kevin Green, though. He comes out to cut a promo on Mongo and join the commentary position for the rest of this match. Again, at least we're building to the bash as these two are going to face each other there. Unfortunately, Green knows how to cut NFL promos, and even with Tony and Bobby holding his hands, he bombed on this. There's a very long match here that was actually very well performed, even by Mongo, who then somehow notices that Green is in the fucking announce position, though I have no idea how he notices that. He bails on the match, leaving Jarrett to eat the pin as the Heat get back into it. Booker feeds Jarrett the Harlem hangover, and they pick up the W. Now... This was the only good match of the night. So obviously we have to end on a Hogan Bischoff snore fest of a promo, right? That's how that works. That's that's what we're doing. <laughs> I know. Now, um, they come out. They challenge Sting to an impromptu match. So uh, I guess I guess we're going to call this one Karen Sting since this Sting has a wig on that looks like a stereotypical Karen haircut. So let's call this... Karen Sting comes up to the ring to lick Hogan's boots and eat up his spit for a while to gobble up some TV time as the real Sting repels in from the ceiling for a nice big pop. Bischoff eats a scorpion death drop, then Hogan backs into Karen Sting, falls over, real Sting lays him out. Karen Sting, that is. The fans get really into it, and the roof explodes on the place as the NWO comes out. If this was leading to a match, I'd be more into it, but even at the time, we all knew there wasn't going to be a Hogan Sting match for months. Anyways, as the NWO get into the ring, the camera goes off of Sting for a while while he's reattached to his harness by safety personnel. Then tugs on the rope twice and the camera's back on him and is pulled away. There's a second there when it looked like it wasn't attached properly, but it worked like a charm. And there was another huge pop as Sting channels his inner Batman and flies away. Now, that, I guess, wasn't the worst way to end a show, but you have to admit that when you... We've, we've become so accustomed to seeing the Bischoff Pity Parade week in and week out, it could have easily been another 20-minute snore fest. Uh, did it make up for a series of truly awful matches all night long, though? I don't know. I Objectively, the show was fucking awful until the Heat Horseman match. And then that last promo. So, since we're left on a high note, I... I guess we're supposed to think this was a great nitro, but it really wasn't. I'm going to give it three out of five. I'm sorry, but two pops aren't going to make up for over an hour of objectively garbage show. Why would I watch Raw until the last 20 minutes of Nitro? What's keeping me from turning the channel? And at the time, nothing. Now, now I'm playing the show back at double fucking speed. Well, that was an abortion of a show. Should the mood take you, check out markoutradio.com and leave a comment. You can also find links there to our Facebook, Twitter, YouTube, and Stitcher channels. You can even leave a voicemail on our Skype. Just click the links and share them.